0: greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line. It's a uh, Tuesday and uh, it is uh, not quite yet the week of Thanksgiving. Did a a sermon Sunday night at Apologia Church on the subject of Thanksgiving, a little more theological than most. Um, Most Thanksgiving sermons are not drawn from apocalyptic material showing worship in heaven from the book of Revelation. (laughs) But you you look up the uh, the Greek term Eucharistia, and uh, it is used a great deal in the heavenly worship, which uh, caught my attention. So, hence, um, apologia has ruined me, as many of you have said. Uh, it was still an hour long, and I thought I was going shorter. Uh, short for me is like an hour and one minute instead of an hour and four minutes, or something like that. It's terrible. I used to do forty-five minutes, but now we do an hour. And uh, <clears throat> so, anyways, that's available. Uh, online if you'd be interested uh, maybe make it a part of your preparation by the way this advertising for another ministry really stupid of me but um truth for life alistair Begg's uh ministry is making available a book right now at a ridiculously low price that's why i'm passing them out like candy at church (laughs) um and that's why uh, Rich got one today. And I shouldn't have just said that it was a ridiculously low price because he would have thought it was very expensive because it's in a nice slipcover, and it's really neat. It's it, it's an advent season guide. It, it's got studies, and, and it's really neat. Um, and uh, you ought got to go to Truth For Life and look up look store, storefront. It's right towards the front. In fact, it's the free book you get when you order anything. You get one with it. So... Um, just thought like I mention it, I happened, I happened to have family radio on in the truck. And uh, I happened to tune in when, when Alistair Begg was on and uh, heard that. And I went, you know, that would be something to really neat to get for people. And so I did. And it turned out to be nicer than it had been described. So free advertising for somebody else. <laughs> there you go. That's <laughs> uh, sort of how it works. Um, now to offend everybody, on Friday of this week... A uh, video is going to drop from Apologia Studios that's going to, um, yeah. Uh, There's a lot of reasons why we thought about not doing this, but there wasn't any way to do it. Um, The trailer, I've already tweeted. Did you watch the trailer? Okay. Uh, The trailer's on, uh, on Twitter, X, whatever you call it, and probably Facebook and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And it is a trailer for an interview between Jeff Durbin and Brian Gunter. Brian is pastor of the church in Louisiana. I was speaking at their church on the way home after G3, for example. And we're going to be doing a conference there in early April. No, 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 no. You know, I'm going to have to look at that because now I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking about what dates he gave us, gave me. And I'm 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 not realizing that that may be backwards as to anyways uh, we're gonna be going back there to do some stuff on Roman Catholicism because I'm gonna be in we're gonna be up in Salt Lake on the 27th of April and I think actually he said they want to go earlier than that oh okay all right instead of going into May Ugh. I, I'm not gonna be around much <laughs> next year <laughs> sorry Annie. Um, anyways, Brian was the, the lead man really in, in, uh, getting a bill of abolition into committee in Louisiana. And, um, uh, we had the votes, we had the votes to pass it. And this is before Roe was overturned and, um, it didn't pass because, The ERLC and 50 different pro-life organizations, all led by the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, killed it. And they did it for political reasons. Uh, They would say that they agree with the eventual goal, but this isn't how to do it. And uh, it all comes back to, all that boils back down to, and you'll see this because an entire documentary is going to be coming out. Um, this interview between Jeff and Brian is is this coming Friday. The next Friday, as I understand it, so, the, so Black Friday, is when the entire um, documentary, expose, is going to come out. And again, it's going to focus everyone's attention on what the real issues are. And the real issues... I, I have to admit, if I had had a thoroughly robust um, truly reformed understanding of things when I was about 35 years ago Um, I should have been able to see what this issue is I was a part of the pro-life movement back then I appeared on local radio stations debated uh, debated abortionists and took no prisoners in those debates. I have, you know, why would you show mercy to a child killer? Um, and yet, I couldn't stay in those positions because of the issue of Roman Catholicism and the gospel. And looking back, I should have gone, that means we're not really approaching this from a primarily gospel perspective. We're, we're, we're doing this politically rather than from a gospel perspective. And that's what has come out over the past number of years. And I think more and more people are starting to see it. If you listened to Josh Bice's response to a question during the Q&A at G3, he gave an abolitionist response. And it said all the things that needed to be said. Um... Honestly, if you had asked Jeff Durbin the same question, he would have answered in almost the exact same words as as Jeff did, uh, uh, Josh did. And looking back, this was why there was dissonance, there was um, incongruity. Uh, we weren't addressing it as a primarily gospel issue, and so the big thing is you you cannot all women who get abortions are victims, according to the pro life industry um and so you cannot offer to a woman the forgiveness of the gospel when there's no sin involved if she's not culpable for the murder of her own child or the act that led to it um then it's not a gospel issue it's just all politics and of course there's there's never going to be a meaningful political uh you know conclusion to this topic anyway uh The interview drops Friday. The entire documentary is scheduled to drop a week later. And it's really going to get a lot of people talking. And I've heard Jeff talking about this. You know, no one wants to destroy Mike Johnson. We are very appreciative of a lot of things that he's trying to do. But there is a fatal flaw at the foundation. Um, And it's going to keep abortion legal in the United States for a long time. It's it's part and parcel of why Ohio happened. Is you can't have a compromised position against the utterly uncompromised position of this side. The other side is full on for abortion up to the point of birth. I mean, that is what they are all about. That is what they, they, they're child murderers in their hearts. And they have made... Sexual fornication, they're God. And you cannot do anything that will keep you from having the greatest good in all of human life, which is repeated orgasms whenever you want them. That's the world. That's that's the that's the society we live in. And they are uncompromised. The pro-life industry is compromised because there is a glaring inconsistency in the position that they take. And we have to recognize that that's the reality, and we're never going to get anywhere until you have an uncompromised position taking on a compromise, an uncompromised position. And, of course, the, the, the further down the depravity hole this society flings itself in its desire for self-destruction, in its love of the culture of death, uh, the more stark these contrasts are going to be. There's there's no two ways about it. So be watching for the, uh, the like I said, the uh, the trailers on my Twitter feed. and You go to Apologia Studios, it's there. And then the um, actual interview comes out on Friday. So uh, be praying about that. We're not going to be making a whole lot of friends, to be honest with you, uh, doing this type of thing. But it's necessary. Okay, um, lots and lots of things. Uh, one other thing I want to talk, the only reason this isn't Radio Free Geneva is I, there were a couple things I wanted to talk about before we get started. Uh, just one, because this will this will blow by and it'll be forgotten, but I, I wanted to, to note it. There is a female Canadian powerlifter named April Hutchinson. I saw this when it first broke. I didn't know what CPU meant. Well, I know what CPU means, but that's not what it means here. <laughs> it's the Canadian Powerlifting Union. And April Hutchinson is facing a two-year ban by the CPU. Why? Because she has complained, she has written to the CPU complaining about biological males competing in the female division and so what's their reaction ban the female powerlifter they would dare to complain that there are males competing in the female powerlifting here th- this is the only way this stops every single female powerlifter I, I don't know about you know but hey if that's your thing great Every single female powerlifter must stop competing for the CPU. Put them out of business, make them irrelevant, make them disappear overnight. If if they if no one is competing in their competitions, they have no authority. It is by your participation that you're giving them the power to do the things that they're doing. Get together, I can I can guarantee you you can find some attorneys who will help you. Get together, form a new union, and make it for women only. And make it stick. If you, if you went through puberty um, with testosterone flowing through your muscles and bones, you don't get to compete against us. That's not fair. If you have certain biological anatomy, that ain't fair. You aren't competing with us. That's the whole point. Uh, and we all know, We look, we all know every one of these transgender power lifters is some dude that could not even begin to compete in the male ranks and has now become Jeanette or something like that and grown hair out and taken some testosterone suppressing, suppressing drugs and like, oh, I'm a female now. Uh, no, you're not, and you never will be. That's all there is to it. That's reality. That's truth. That's that's sanity. Uh, it, it's time for the insanity to stop. Everybody knows it. You know it. If you're triggered right now, it's because you know it's true. Um, that's all there is to it. So, so of course, April Hutchinson uh, facing two-year ban by CPU for daring to complain about having to compete against men. Um, this is the insane world in which we live. Yes, sir, Mister Mister Paris. Have you ever uh, competed in the CPU?
1: No, that's not going to be something I'm going to do. Okay. But uh, did you see the video this morning of the woman championship pool player? Yes. Now that was amazing. Now, did you did you realize what they were doing? I did not know what was going on. So they they're basically um, they hit the ball and whichever. Comes closest to the next rail goes first. Okay, so she won that. It's now her turn to start the game, and she walks over to the judge and says, "I will not compete against a man." And goes packs up her stuff and leaves, and the place goes crazy. Yeah, yeah. So she it was because
0: it was her turn that. Okay, I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't. I didn't. I don't understand how that works. But thank you for that background information. But yes, I did. I saw the video. And I saw her go to the judge, and I saw her put her cue stick into its container, and, and the crowd's like, yeah. Yeah, that was the championship. That's, that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. What you got to do. Uh, and, and that empties it completely for this guy, again, who's trying to cheat and steal stuff from women. Uh, because he's going to get his trophy and, and get the prize. But there probably isn't going to be anybody even there to cheer. They've all left. And that's the only way. I'm sorry, ladies. It'll disrupt things for a long time. But if you all get together and start doing it consistently, you will take your sports back. That's the only way to do it. Kill these organizations, these woke organizations that are destroying your sports, that are are making you compete against men. They have no authority if no one's showing up to compete. Or, if it's just guys. (laughs) You know, no one's gonna show up! No one's gonna be advertising- yeah, guys in drag are gonna- No one's gonna come to watch, no one's gonna support it, no one's gonna buy advertising, and they'll die of uh, a, a deserving death. Go start your own, make it real, make it stick. Only way to do it. Only way to do it. No way around it. So, there you go. Okay. All right. Uh, now. Um, so, I I do need to announce something. Uh, I'm going to go back to the, the Jason Breda material. We need to finish this up. We've been doing it as Radio Free Geneva. We've done two Radio Free Geneva's on it in John 6. Um, I didn't expect this to work out this way, but um going to be debating jason in um february at the calvinism conference in tallahoma tennessee um we were going to be debating someone else but we really couldn't get a topic and i really didn't want to engage this individual again to be honest with you um and jason's willing to do a focused topic because the other gentleman only wanted to do, should Baptists be Calvinists? It's so wide that it, it's, it's worthless as far as the debate topic is concerned. And so Jason has agreed to debate particular redemption. Uh, and of course, I have agreed to do that because I not only believe in it, but I'm not ashamed to believe it. And I can make a very strong biblical case for the doctrine. It's a beautiful doctrine. It's true doctrine. It is based upon the harmony of the Father, Son, and Spirit and the accomplishment of salvation. Uh, It exalts the Trinity. It exalts the finished work of Christ. It's wonderful. So, um, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, um, check out Jeffrey Rice on Facebook. I'm sure there will be a link there that will take you to the uh, thing. Obviously, we need to be putting something up on our website as soon as possible as well. Um, And so uh, I think that's pretty cool. Um, And so we will be finishing up our look at uh, Jason. We've got some other uh, folks to look at. We'll see how long we go and we'll see if we get it all done or if I'll put some of this into another program later this week. And on Thursday in the big studio with the big guy himself, John Cooper, he was on um, TBN, I think. Um, I've seen a number of interviews he's been doing. His book dropped officially today, I believe, and um, he's going to be sending me a uh, hard copy when the hard copy is available. Uh, it's a big book, and um, proud of John. Like I, I kept keep saying, he used to say, you know, he sort of when I would challenge him on you so like, "Yeah, I'm just a rocker man," you know, and and that was how it was when we first got to know each other. And then he wrote his first book, and I'm like, "No, you're not." And now he's written a book that's this big, huge thing, and it's like, hey, skip the you're a rocker part. You're an author. What are you talking about? Um, now you get to, you know, like I said, I, I think he should be wearing like a cardigan sweater, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe uh, do something with it. make the beard a little less crazy. You know, maybe a driver's cap. You know, something along those lines. Look a little bit more authorial. Um, something along those, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said he said yeah i might he said i might do the mr rogers thing but he says i'm not doing a kooji. and i said we'll start with small steps we'll d- we'll start with small steps <laughs> so um uh we will have uh, brother john with us uh i believe it's one o'clock our time i need to double check that um because we scheduled this a couple months ago uh but uh one o'clock our time which would be what three o'clock eastern i think Uh, right now um and i it's astonishes me how many people live elsewhere and they don't know whether it's daylight or standard time where they are i I mean multiple times this past summer i was saying so is it are you sure about that you're 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 daylight savings time right now right and they're like i don't don't know Uh, I don't know. It's, well, daylight time and say and, and standard time are not the same thing. Really, we're the only the only people who know anything about this live in Arizona because we have to know. We have to do all the translation stuff. It's that's not fair. You're the con- people who are confused, not us. We we know that the sun's going to come up at the same time tomorrow. You know, it's just yeah. Anyway, all right. Leave that. <laughs> yeah. Leave that off to the side. All right. Let's get back to Jason here. We were, we were looking at... Uh, yeah, I've got it about as big as it's going to get. Um, we were looking at the primary section of his response on John chapter 6. And we're looking at how his argument is primarily based upon uh, misunderstanding of... Tense mode and voice in the Greek verb, um, how these things relate to the participle, um, and differences between substantival participles and uh, non substantival participles, um, participles that emphasize verbal aspect versus substantive aspect, a- and the fact that in a participle, any emphasis upon uh, especially action um, aspects of tense is with with a finite verb it is in relationship to the speaker to the writer in a participle it's in relationship to the primary verb now then there are questions about you can have some authors, for example, really like to have participial phrases and subphrases and, you know, which verb is it being related to. It, it, it can get quite complicated. And if it wasn't complicated, then your commentaries would be much shorter. <laughs> and there probably be fewer, fewer commentaries, too. Uh, but it can get uh, somewhat uh, complicated uh, as to how those things function and everything else. So uh, those are things that you cannot know um by using online resources and one of the things i've been trying in in this particular study is, is to warn us all we all we all got them we've got the ipads and the tablets and we've got our phones and on our computers and there's online stuff and of course i'm an accordance guy accordance is great it's awesome it's fantastic uh Logos is awesome and fantastic as well uh, i just like accordance better and as for especially for Bible study type stuff, and so all of a sudden everyone's an expert because you can I can find out what a present tense verb is in Greek. It's one of the reasons of when people have said, "What do you think of uh, of uh, you know this uh, this interlinear or that interlinear?" And I, I've always said, "Look, interlinears are the greatest waste of paper ever invented by man because." If you don't know Greek, they're useless to you. And if you do know Greek, they're useless to you. Because if you don't know it, then you can be misled by it. And believe me, every Jehovah's Witness running around the kingdom in a linear translation is awesome testimony to what I'm saying right now. Um, And if you know enough Greek to be able to parse verbs and understand uh, cases and and how nouns are related to infinitives and, and all the rest of that kind of stuff, then you don't need an interlinear net anyways. So they're a complete waste of space. There are lots of them out there, but they're a complete waste of space. So these are some of the things we've been talking about. One of the things I wanted to warn people about and give illustration of is there's a lot of people online that will pontificate about all sorts of stuff. And they just haven't done the work to be able to know that whether what they're saying is true or not. I'm not specifically referring to Jason here. I'm really, especially, especially, especially in regards to Hebrew. Oh my goodness. I, I, I finally muted him, but I was getting all these Hebrew ads of why, you know, God created Adam and why the English word does not explain to you what the Bible's really saying. And there are so many people out there that will sell you a bill of goods. You know, send your $49.99 and you'll get to learn what what the Old Testament was really saying all along. It's, ah, forget it. So anyways, we go back to where we stopped before and continue on. There's only about five minutes left in this section then a couple minutes after that. So we should be able to get this done today. Uh, and move on to some other ones. So let's let's dive back in. That's what Jesus is telling these people.
1: So all of that context helps us understand this. But then even without the context, even without that context, the way that this is written and the way that this is said in the Greek proves 100% that this is not advocating for Calvinism. What's amazing is that all that the Father gives is not because god has granted faith and repentance and regeneration to them it doesn't say that it actually says that the responsibility the action is being performed by the person now did you catch that
0: now this is this is very important for us to 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 see you just had a big graphic from someone who says they were calvinist for 10 years that says 100% 100% Calvinism is not true. And what's he basing it on? His own misunderstanding of the present tense in Greek. He doesn't understand the difference between a present tense participle and a present tense finite verb. And a, a number of minutes before this, back in the presentation, he put on the screen that if it's in the present tense, then the person is responsible. has nothing to do with it at all. He's just completely wrong. It's not there. You can find so many uses. Uh, I, I mean, in Koine Greek, the the most basic way of expressing an action is the aorist. Um, now, the aorist is normally in the past, but it's it's more an emphasis upon kind of action. It's just it's just the plain unadorned action. The present can especially when it's being put into use in a particular context um, remember that there are many present tense verbs in the gospels that are used narratively they are narrating something that's going on and if I recall correctly was it the 70s was it the 77 NASB that tried to in some way indicate when they were translating a present as a historical present? And hence as a past tense verb and it just it, it just became so wooden and messy i don't might have been anyway people have tried um but if you if you actually read the language then you know when you translate presence in that way it's not how we speak english and that the writer is using the present um in a historical sense to narrate an event that was actually taking place in the past. There's all sorts of different kinds of presence. Once you get into second year Greek and you start looking at gnomic presence and, like I said, the historical narratival type presence and things like that. Now, are there instances where, in the context, an emphasis is being placed upon continuous action? Well, yeah. Yeah, there are. But you have to drive that from the context. It's not derived from looking at a parsing sheet and going, that must be what it means. That's not exegesis. That's eisegesis, big time. Um, And so here you have Calvinism 100% untrue, all based upon the fact that I don't actually read Greek. And this is not the first time I've heard this, and I'm not trying to pick on Jason. But Jason, if you believe this, you left for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> you, you, you've gone the direction you've gone for all the wrong reasons because um, that's just simply not true. Uh, you've you've misunderstood things. You've read stuff into, um, into a tense that doesn't take into consideration all sorts of other issues, context and meaning of the meaning of the verb that's being used is always central and relevant. And there are certain, there are certain verbs that by their, the very nature of the action, um, either emphasize continuous action or or preclude it. Uh, you just, you just can't just go, ah, present tense. That means the individual who's doing it. And if I recall correctly, what he's specifically referring to here, the one who comes to me, that's, That's participle. The one coming to me. It's a substantival participle. You've got to deal with that in that context. So, just a reminder, um, most of the best commentaries that I have that, that deal with the theology of the text and not just atomize it like a lot of progressivists do, are written by reform folks. We know the biblical languages. Um you you read Calvin's commentaries, and he knows the languages really, really well. Um, so this idea that, wow, I've discovered it's a present tense verb, and all the Calvinists missed this. <laughs> we didn't miss it. We in fact, you know, in my little my little book, um drawn by the father, I I point out that in john mentioned this before that present tense especially when it's believing especially when pistio is in is in view because when the aorist is used and i think once a pluperfect is used they're used in context of unbelief they pick up stones to stone jesus uh, jesus doesn't entrust himself to them john chapter two so in this particular context um there is a significance to the one coming The one believing, the one seeing, the one gazing upon. Uh, I think there is a reason why these are present tense, substantival participles. Saving faith is a continuous thing. It it doesn't stop and start, stop and start. It doesn't just have an existence for a period and then cease. I think you can drive those things. But this idea that, well, it's because it's present tense, that means you have the responsibility. That means you have the capacity. But, but, But that is such especially when it's in the context of John 6 where Jesus says no man is able John 665 no man can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the father and then the description of what the drawing is in, in John in, in John 645 which again Jason inverts and makes the lens through which you look backwards at the text but this being taught by the father receiving this this drawing comes from the father in the revelation of who the son is and isn't it beautiful because um elsewhere jesus says jesus is described as the one who reveals the father to anyone whom he chooses there is a reciprocal trinitarian aspect in the revelation to the recipient of grace of who God is, uh, and it's it's beautiful to see. It it really really is. But I just you can't miss one hundred percent. And Jason, you were one hundred percent wrong. And and I just I just have to ask you, you know, what do you what do you what do you gonna do with that? What what do you gonna do with it? Putting out a video, Calvinism is one hundred percent wrong and you're the one that's 100% wrong you don't know what you're talking about just because there's a present tense verb does not mean that mankind has the capacity of doing x y and z that's not how you do exegesis that's you're violating your own principles here have you thought about possibly that maybe being a convert from something might mean that you have some blind spots maybe you didn't understand what you believe before cuz and that was my first criticism when i first just even mentioned it on on radio free geneva while we were trap tra- i'm not even sure it was radio free geneva but was why do former calvinists say the things they say um and that was that was the situation then anyway god is just giving true worshipers over to the sun and he will be now again that's very important see there there you go God the Father gives true worshipers to the Son. God the Father does not choose. There is no sovereignty in this. And so you you are responsible for being a true worshiper of the Father. And if you are that choice meat, if you're that person with the capacity and ability to do good spiritual things and worship God the Father truthfully, then he will give you to the son. It's up to you. It's your choice. And there are certain people that are better than other people. How else can it be? How else can it be? That's what you're saying. You're saying there are certain people that are more spiritually sensitive, more spiritually insightful. They're more humble. Um, they're better than other people. So the better people are given by the father to the son. That's what you're saying. Whether you want to admit it or not, it's what you're saying that's where it goes continually
1: giving true worshipers over to the son Do you see this
0: this is amazing now notice he just did the continually giving thing we talked about that last time and again uh misunderstanding what the issue is about and how in that context um all the father gives me will come to me and the one coming to me i'll never cast out again trying to it, it introduces a level of confusion because now the idea is well no this is not this is not their coming is the result of being given by the father, but there was something that determined the giving of the father and so there's this continuous giving idea now being introduced into the into the text. Um, none of which explains the unbelief. See, you have to break John 6 apart. That's why I said, hey, try walking straight through it. And that's not what happened. Um, But try walking straight through it. Jesus is explaining, these men watched the miracles. They stood or sat for hours listening to Jesus' teaching. When they see Jesus is gone, they get into boats and they row across the lake. They're seeking Jesus. It specifically calls them Seekers. And Jesus looks at them and says, you don't believe. You don't believe. You saw the signs. Your bellies were filled. You don't believe. And he's explaining that. He's explaining who has the capacity to come to him. Nobody. Unless the Father does what? Reveals the Son. Teaches. But synergists have to go, actually... Everybody has the capacity to be a worshiper of God, the Father, and they then will be given to the Son, and the Father will then reveal the Son to them, but it's up to them to first come to the Father. Now, I don't know if they actually believe that remains the case now. Maybe maybe that was just the case then. I mean, there's so many permutations to how people try to get around John 6. There really are. are. It, it it it's astonishing how many how many ways people do it
1: then all that the father gives me shall come will come this is a future active indicative tense so the shall come or the will come this means that those that are true worshipers are the fathers and the father is giving to the son Now, see how he's
0: reading in? He's reading into the text the way to get around the text. The text is talking specifically, because John 6, 37 is right after 36. The text is explaining why these men who are seeking Jesus don't believe in Jesus. And so the idea is, well, they're they're true worshipers. The, The true, it's not, it's all the true worshipers that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I'll be in no, no by no means cast out okay um so you're, you're you have to you know some people do it the old-fashioned way well you know Jesus draws everybody uh, in John 644 they jump over to john 1232 and ignore the context there and just throw it in there there's other ways of doing it but this is this is a this is a way of, of sticking the requirement, the human requirement, at the very start. So, it's all the, all the true worshipers who have proven themselves to be better than everyone else are given by the Father, and they will come to me. Why? I don't know. I mean, you would say, well, they will because if they're truly worshiping the Father, then they will likewise worship the Son. But don't they have the choice? Don't they they have the free will? It was their free will to choose to worship the Father in the first place. So don't they have the free will to just worship the Father? Well, no, they don't, actually. And how do you know they will all come to me? Well... If you're a true worship of the Father, you will you will come to the Son. There's a reason for that, but it's the spiritual reason. And once you insert the idea that well, but it's totally up to them whether they are going to be true worshipers of the Father first, then you don't really have any re- any basis to say, and then God will force everybody who worships Him to come to Jesus. How does that work? I don't know. But again. The, the the subtle little things you're getting inserted here that have nothing to do with the context they have nothing to do why is it that um by the end at the beginning of John chapter 6 you have over five thousand people excited with Jesus teaching by the end of John chapter 6 you've got 12 confused disciples and one of them's a the devil what happened well they were the only ones who were the true worshipers of the Father really yeah, that's a theme that's just constantly repeated in John chapter six. Well, actually,
1: it's not. And they will come to the Son because they have been;
0: they are true worshipers of the one true God. Now notice, notice, he almost said because they've been given by the Father to the Son, but oh no, no, no! Oh, whoop! Oh, we got to go. <laughs> oh, oh, it, it was right there. Yep, had it right, and then then had to had to run from it. Okay this is this is what's just
1: amazing with this now i can't emphasize this at this point enough the the greek word for gives is in the present tense so the father is giving me all that the father is giving the son will come to the son if the word gives would have been in the perfect
0: tense okay now here's where you start having some serious problems because uh, when someone goes well uh, who already has demonstrated a misunderstanding of the present if you don't get the present the perfect's really going to throw you for a loop <laughs> it really is um, let alone going into a blue perfect uh, you don't do exegesis by saying well if the author had wanted to say what my opponents think he was saying then he would have said it this way that requires you to know the original language intimately i would say be able to actually speak it which most of us cannot do in the sense of just making stuff up as you're going along um and you would have to know the theology of the person speaking Uh, so and and the terminology and phraseology so for example uh John's phraseology is not Paul's uh Paul loves hinna clauses purpose result clauses they're everywhere and uh, not used in in the same way at all by Luke and Acts or Hebrews um much more classical than those those contexts. And so you'd have to know all those things to be able to say, well this author would have, said it this way if he had wanted to say this. This is not meaningful argumentation. You need to deal with the text as it stands and not speculate as to what would have been had these conditions prevailed. That's a, it's a complete waste of time to even speculate about st- such things, especially when you don't actually read the language. It would indicate that the
1: father did give to the son From eternity past all that the father had already ordained from eternity past will come to the son because he's already pre-selected and he's elected those people to salvation and then if that was in the perfect tense then yes calvinism would have a leg to
0: stand on so uh if if what we had here is all that the father has given me so if we find present if we find perfect tense verbs in regards to election anywhere, are you going to say that, that means Calvinism is true? You really want to go there? You really want to do that kind of thing? That it's, it's extremely speculative. Extremely speculative. As it stands, all that the Father gives me will come to me. It is not a discussion of when this takes place. The context is what? You don't believe. They're going to walk away. Jesus knows they're going to walk away. When he starts emphasizing the centrality of himself as the food, the bread of life, all these things, he knows they're going to walk away. And in answer to the question, why? It's because they weren't given by the father to the son. That's why they walk away. Now, from our perspective, they, they look like perfect candidates. They've been willing to row across the lake to continue to hear Jesus speak, but Jesus knows what their real motivations are. So it's simple. It's a simple statement. All the Father gives me will come to me. It doesn't say when. Other than, I, I mean, we can assume in this life, obviously. Um, but it's a it's a simple statement that you're now trying to say well if it's going to carry such and such a meaning then it has to be this specific why why we we've already discovered you don't understand the wide number of uses of the present tense um in the in the original language so asking the question why isn't really fair because there's no way you can really answer it. Because if you don't read Greek, then you've never read through passages where you had presents and perfects and you had to figure out the relationship between these things and um, it, it helps you to not make statements like this, which are untrue. Sure.
1: okay, um, But it's not in the perfect tense. Now, if the word was in the aorist tense it would indicate that the all would be given at some point in time and there's the potential for it for the calvinists to have a valid argument it wouldn't be explicit but if it was in the aorist tense it would give the idea that there all have come from a point in time that were just undetermined so it wouldn't be clear but i think they would
0: have a stronger case to make that it could be taken either way Okay, that's again assuming that there's something in the context that specifically um, tells us that the aorist is being used rather than just simply a statement of the action is a statement of the action in the past. All the father gave me, and there again there are places where the aorist is used in that way. I think when, for example. when Paul talks about Jesus' death and uses the some somebody would say it's just it's just a statement of the of the action, but especially when he says, "died for me and loved me," and puts loved in the aorist. Well, that would seemingly be connected to the sacrificial act itself, that this was the demonstration of that love. That's a that's a possibility, um, but to say, well, I know what the author would have meant if he used this form or that form. That's where you it's completely speculative. You deal with the text as it stands. You don't play with the text as well. For this position, position to be true, you'd have to have this. That's that's when you get into danger. But guess what, guys?
1: It's not in the aorist tense. It's not in the perfect tense. It's in the present tense. Okay? So this means right now. It's in the present tense. It's right now. All that the Father is giving
0: will come to the Son. Okay, that's not what it means. Um, you are, again, reading into the present Something out of your blue letter Bible that it just, it is a simple statement that all that the Father gives me will come to me. There's prove to me in the context that this, that there is an emphasis upon the continuous action in this present tense verb right now. In the light of the fact that you're going to have, you're, you're, you're explaining the unbelief of the people. That, that, that's what you've got to be able to do, um, and we don't get that. Just
1: to jump ahead really quick. See, how does one belong to the Father in order to be given to the Son? The Father draws, okay? That's what the text says. Jesus goes to the prophets. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father will come to Jesus. Those who hear and learn is also in the active, present tense, Okay? it is the active not passive those who have heard and learned if it was passive then it would indicate that god is the one granting them the
0: ability to believe okay now here is this is actually very useful um this 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 will help us let's uh because this is part of the and, and i'm glad we're getting into this this is this is useful and uh will will help people to understand what's what's going on here and i've i've made this before john 6:45 obviously comes after 6:44 no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up on the last day it is it stands written in the prophets and they shall now i'll I'll avoid doing it but it'd be so easy to go And notice it's future tense and that means blah, 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 blah. No. Um, Here is Jesus' explanation of what the drawing involves. And notice it says, Pontes didactoi theu. They shall all, now didactoi, is a, they shall be taught ones. Didaskalos is a teacher. Um, didactic, we use that term in, comes to us from the Greek. But, here's where your will-letter Bible doesn't explain these things to you. So you Now this is a genitive. So what does it mean, they shall all be taught? Where where is the word um, of or by God? Well, there isn't a specific word. It is derived from the genitive. Now again, I mentioned last time, you get through first year Greek, you're really happy. You can recognize genitives and maybe ablatives if you're taught the AK system. And then you get into second year Greek and discover there's 20 different kinds of genitives and about six different kinds of ablatives, and and you're, you're ready to pull your hair out. But the point is, they shall all be taught by God. God is the one doing the teaching. They will be taught ones. And they are taught ones by God. This isn't a possessive, owned by God, or something like that. God is the one doing the teaching. God is the one doing the revealing. That's the context. So, when you have Pontes here, Pas, Pas, Upon and then you have Pas here. Now, this is just in the plural form, but so, so, everyone Ha, Akusas. Ha, Akusas, again, very common for for John, but especially here in John 6. Here we have another substantival participle. So here's your article. The one hearing. Now ask yourself a simple question, my friends. If you're in the context of being taught by God, right now, as you sit wherever you are, maybe you're one of our long haul truckers and you're out there and I'm helping keep you awake or I'm putting you to sleep. One of the two. I'm not sure which, but you are being taught by me. I am imparting knowledge to you. You are not, you are the the term to be taught by is passive by its meaning. You're the recipient of knowledge. And so, everyone who hears Paratu Patras hears from the Father. Is, that, is it, it, what, what, what's what's the action there? Are you creating sound? Are you creating what is being communicated to you by speech, by words? No. The one hearing from the Father. you're receiving something from the Father. you're being it, the, the, the biblical citation is taught by God. God's active, we receive the one hearing from the Father, God is speaking. we passively receive the speech or the individual who is being drawn passively. Receive the speech. Kai Mathon. Now that also. Is a participle. And so. It is borrowing. If you're wondering. It's um, article. From the preceding one. So it's two different things. The one hearing. And the one learning. Both from the Father. You are learning from me right now. Who is active? Well, I'm actively learning. Yes, you're actively taking in information. But where's that information coming from? From the Father. Well, from me right now, but in this context, from the Father. So, here's where, again, your blue letter Bible, I am a slave of the parsing guide, causes the problem. Because it's the meaning of the words, it's the meaning of the words, Monthano, um, Akuo. They, by the very nature of their lexical meanings, are. And again, don't get f- confused. We're talking nouns here. The we're, we're talking about the we're talking about participle. We're talking about. What does the noun mean? What does the, what does the, what is being communicated? What does hearing mean? What does learning mean? We're using gerunds in in English to do that, but, but what, what does the, what, what's the root meaning? And the root meaning is to take something in. So the point of John 6 45 is not that these are the choice meats. And they're the worshipers of the Father. And they've done this on their own. And here is the idea. They shall all be taught of God because they've already worshipped God. And everyone who's willing to open their ears to hear. And willing to sit down to be taught. Is coming to me. That's That's where they're trying to go. But that violates the very meanings of the words. So if if I put that back up, passive would indicate God is granting them the ability to hear, learn, and believe. The very meaning of the words communicate that. You just shot your position in the head and didn't realize it. Because you're looking for uh, passive rather than active, as if that's where the meaning is is found. You're completely ignoring the fact that, again, when you go into participles, participles are a blend, and they have verbal and substantival aspects. And so, once you make it substantival, then you're talking about the hearing one. But what is hearing? It's taking something in from outside. What is learning? It's taking something in from outside. What is the determinative factor of this? The quotation from the Greek Septuagint. And the form of God. They shall be taught by God. What does that mean? Does that mean you're teaching God? No. God is the one who is teaching you. So, the meaning is passive, not, not, we're not parsing verbs here because that's not the issue. The meaning, the lexical meaning, the core of the terms, when you put them together and you allow the Greek Septuagint that is cited to say what it says, they shall all be taught by God. God does the teaching. God is the one actively doing what? Revealing. And so if you allow all of John 6 to stand together, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What's involved in the drawing? Learning, being taught by, hearing from God. And everyone who experiences that comes to me. All the Father gives me will come to me. Why? Because they're drawn. What's the drawing? Revelation who Jesus Christ is. It's Very consistent. And then by the end, the thing that ends up driving everybody away in verse 65 is what? He kept saying to them, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. So, I, I would submit that without intentionality, um, our brother has concluded the argument for us by saying, well, if it was passive, that's the concept of the words that are used in the text. And if you weren't just looking at parsing sheets, you'd see it. I think that's, I think it means a lot. Okay. But it's not in the passive it's in the
1: active meaning that those who have listened to the gospel basically and have seen the son and believe in the father now come to the son as a result because they are true worshipers of god
0: those so the text is actually emphasizing is actually saying to us we'll get to me here in a second there we go rich rich got rich got little you know just so sort of max headroom thing got got a little distracted something else too many buttons yeah what's actually being said we're coming to the opposite conclusion of it he's actually saying these are the people who have chosen to be worshipers of god the father and because they have done that then they take advantage of, I guess, of learning. And as a result, they, are, they come to Jesus. So instead of it's the Father, and it's the Father's sovereignty, and it's the Father's will, and it's the Father who is teaching, and it's the Father who is communicating, and they are passively then receiving this and hearing and learning. Instead of all that, No they're the ones that are allowing the father by their own actions so you can say well you see what god is actually what what god's actually been doing is he has been trying to teach everybody and these are the good students they actually listened and the good students get to go to heaven and the bad students do not but it's all up to us as to whether we're good students or bad students. It's really what it ends up being. And you look at the history of Israel and it's like, really? Yeah, I mean, wow, outside of grace. Um, yikes. Um, that's why this leads whether people are... admit it or not, it ends up leading to Pelagianism. It really does. Let's just be honest. That's where it's it's always where it ends up going. You don't... I hope you don't go there, but you're only not going there inconsistently. Um, that's, uh, That's the problem. The hear and learn. Active, not
1: passive. Calvinist teachers will say that they are the given, and the ability of faith and the ability to repent have been granted by... God and if this would be in the passive it would suggest that repentance and faith would be given by God to them however it is in the active tense which means they are the ones
0: responsible they are the ones that are taking the action okay Um, saying that they're the ones taking the action does not have anything to do with an understanding of whether they are capable all No one is capable of coming to me. Nobody. This kind of idea says, no, Jesus didn't mean no one. He meant the non-choice meats. But the choice meats are capable of coming to me in and of themselves. That's literally what this ends up meaning. And again all this based on, well, because it's present tense, present tense means this. And it doesn't mean that. That was just as... I, I did two programs ago, two Radio Free Genevas ago. I specifically stopped it when he said that. It stopped it on screen. I remember going, see this? This is going to be really, really important. That's, that's reading in something that is not there, but it becomes the central aspect of the argument. The central aspect of the argument. Alright, so there's more that i could do with this there was some there was some stuff uh let me just see what this is real quick because we've we've gone over an hour already but um oops i've got to click something else here to get that to work oh wow this is another three minutes um I, i think we've made made our point on this one um well let me just hear what it is real quick so to go from
1: contrasting 37 through 39 and 40 uh, wouldn't be a stretch. It's not like we're contrasting John 6:37 with some other book uh, from the Old Testament or that's not specifically drawn out by the, the author itself. okay? So I, I think it's a it's something that we can consider. Now listen to this, all that the Father gives oh. me will come to me. So if part A of verse 37 says that. If we go to verse 39, it says that all that the fo- that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day.
0: Okay, yeah, I knew what this, this was. He goes into this big, long thing that maybe it's not all as in people, it's all things, which, of course, completely destroys the context. And this is, again, uh, when he takes Greek someday, he will discover that one of the wonderful... Uh, interesting aspects of Greek genders, which, I wonder if they're going to force Greek to get rid of its genders. Um, i sure there'll be some UN movement to do that. Um, but but the neuter, which, again, I, I bring this out in Potter's Freedom, Dharma of the Father, uh, it is neuter because the neuter is used to wrap up an entire group. So, uh, but the of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. It means he's going to raise the entire group up at the last day. But Jesus raises his people up at the last day, not stuff. Um, not uh, all power or any of the rest of this kind of stuff. So he goes through this long thing about, well, maybe, you know, maybe the all isn't has nothing to do with anything. Completely disrupts context and he wouldn't have even gone there if he understood the use of the neuter. Um, in Greek, which again, when you read it, you run into this stuff. You got to go, oh, it's in order. Oh, that's right. Okay, and then you just move on from there. That's where uh, the problems come in. So uh, we will dump out of that. And uh, again, um, thank Jason for um, his comments. But, oh, that's what I did. Sorry about that. There we go. Um this does fit f- fairly well, though, with a tweet. How's that for um, doing stuff here? Um, this is just today. A guy named Chris Jalapeno said, Jesus said, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. The gospel is spirit indwelled and is sufficient for belief in Christ. The gospel is spirit indwelled. That's an interesting phraseology. It is the power of God and salvation. Everyone believes. Well, that's true. But Calvinism claims that the dead cannot hear and respond positively to the gospel until they are regenerated and made alive by God. Now, what's fascinating is yes, Calvinism says that man is dead in sin and that the Spirit of God must grant hearing. Must grant life, uh, that the response to the gospel, at least he at least he was nice enough to say, respond positively to the gospel, because we believe that dead sinners respond negatively to the gospel, every which way, including by fake belief. Um, but I'm just sitting here going, where did he start? John six sixty three. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. What does Jesus say in John 6, 65? For for this reason, I I have been telling you. I, he's repeating them. No one can come to me unless it's been granted them the Father. This this is this is one verse later. Jesus specifically says, and and there it's using the imperfect tense. Elegant. So this is something. This probably is the iterative use of the imperfect. It's it's repetitive in the past. He is telling them over and over again, no one can come to me unless that coming to me has been granted to them by the Father. Again, further explanation of why they're all going to walk away. These are the same people that were listening to Jesus for hours the day before. But he knows they're not true believers. And so you can you can attack Calvinism and one verse later the text says the very thing that you're attacking Calvinism for saying. And and I'm just, I'm just I, I I'm I'm like, um, okay, I'm confused, but um, all right. There it goes. Uh let me. Oh, that did that pull this over here, and once again, good old brother Frank Turek is uh, out there doing his thing, and and uh, nice man, only met him once at SES, long, long, long ago, but it's Q&A, and a number of people sent it to me, let's... Um, Let's make a few comments on it. I'm not going to respond to everything, but let's make a few comments about it.
1: ...Holy Spirit, uh, meaning that like only good things can come from God. How is it possible that we play any role in our salvation?
2: Well, if we don't have free will to accept God, then it would seem that God is immoral for judging us when we don't have the capacity to choose Him.
0: Now again, uh, Dr. Turek is not reformed. And we have responded to his anti-reformed statements many, many times before. This is the same objection that you would have, for example, um, to original sin, um, to being included in Adam and receiving from Adam all that Adam can give to you, which is death and judgment. It would be an objection to being in Christ uh, and receiving from Christ what you do not deserve, uh, but uh, that which is imputed to you. Uh, by your union with Christ. Uh, and it, it in essence, is the objection of Romans 9. <laughs> it is. How then does he still find fault for who resists his will? It 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 is the Romans 9 objection, which is why people have to grab the note. I don't care what Paul's application is. It's only had to do with nations. Uh, it has nothing to do whatsoever. Even though he makes the application of... Vessels of honor and vessels of wrath. We're just not going to, we, 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 we just, we can't believe in that kind of a, of a, of a thing. Um, and so we don't want Adam to be our representative. It's not fair if God holds us accountable for that. So much for Romans 5. I don't know how Dr. Turk would um, exegete Romans chapter 5. But if you want to see what this all means down the road... Um, look at the video that I, and I put it together, a number of years ago. There's a comparison because Dr. Turk and I debated the same guy, um, David Silverman, and we debated the same guy, and he asked the exact same question in cross examination of both of us, and it's fascinating to listen. To the real difference between the two of us, as we answer the question from the same guy, it ends up having a, a pretty major impact on your apologetic. And um, I think it's quite obvious. Silverman had no idea how to respond to my answer. <laughs> he was used to he was used to a what we would call Arminian or, in this case, uh, Molinistic answer. Uh, but he had no idea how to respond to and just moved on after, after that. Look it up on YouTube. It's, if you put in uh, James White, David Silverman, Frank Turek in YouTube, I bet you anything it'll pop up.
2: That would be a, what we would call in theology a voluntaristic God, meaning God does something, and because he does it, it's good, whereas Christian, Christianity, at least Orthodox Christianity, believes that God is good. It's not what he does that makes it good. He is good, and that's how he he gives us certain uh, precepts to follow that come from his nature. He doesn't invent right and wrong. He is the standard of rightness. So if God is going to tell us that we ought to accept his free gift of salvation, and yet he doesn't give us the ability to do that, how...
0: And why would we not have the ability to do that? Why would Paul say that the those who are according to the flesh cannot submit themselves to the law of God? Isn't that... The law of God says, repent. And Paul says, we don't have the ability to do that. We cannot do what's pleasing to God. Why does he say that? Well, because... Paul has a biblical anthropology is explained that biblical anthropology. Um, but that biblical anthropology then results in an acceptance of the idea that salvation has to be completely of the Lord, not just in making it available, but in actually in the actual accomplishment of it. And so Lazarus needs Jesus to come to his tomb. There, there's no, there's no latch on the inside. Um, and when the voice, of the Son of God, rings out, Lazarus come forth. There is there is no argumentation, there is no doubt. Lazarus is going to come forth, because the Son of God has the capacity to do that. That hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with voluntarism or anything even slightly related to that. Um, that was a excursus off into philosophical conversations has nothing to do with what we should be talking about. is. Does the Bible say that we have the capacity to do these things in the fallen state as enemies of God? Or does the Bible say that as enemies of God something fundamentally has to change before we can become followers of God? Uh that's that's where the question should be. Would that be good?
1: I mean, I just I guess I'm just really confused. Um I'm so sorry. No, no, no,
2: um, you're right, because Calvinism, in my view, is confusing. Because if God wants everybody to be saved, but he only selects those he wants to be saved, and nobody else has the capacity to be saved, then why would he say he wants all to be saved when only certain people are saved?
0: Well, um, I've I've certainly invited invited Dr. Turek um, to read this book. I, I think it would be helpful to him. Uh, at least it would uh, sharpen his anti-Calvinistic rhetoric. Um, there is a um, chapter that uh, begins in the current edition on page one hundred and thirty-five, called "CBF's Big Three Verses": Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, First Timothy two four, and Second Peter three nine. Now, I can almost guarantee you that if someone had challenged Dr. Turk, well, where, where do you get the idea that God wants every single person to be saved? Because, and this is, this is why I feel sorry for the young lady, um, all you have to do is look at the Bible, and that's obviously not true. Think of the number of nations that existed around Israel. That God never sent a prophet to. Are you going to tell me. That God expressed the same desire. For the salvation of the members of Pharaoh's army. As they rode into the Red Sea. Chasing after the Israelites. He had the same desire. Salvific desire to save those individuals, as the believing Jews, and of course he saved a whole lot of unbelieving Jews, only to destroy them later on as an illustration of his judge, uh, his justice, and his judgment, and his sovereignty. But are you going to say that they're the same? How There's just there's there's way too much Old Testament evidence, which is why, to be honest with you, so many of these folks Arminianism. As a system has led to a fundamental degradation of a view of the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, as historical as a historical document they don't want to believe that that God did the things that he did in the Old Testament, they just don't want to believe it Um, and so there's just, it's so obvious, why does Paul say that he endures all things for the sake of the elect. Because he believes that there is an elect people. He doesn't know who they are. And so we promiscuously present the gospel to everyone because we don't know who the elect are either. And we can say to everyone, anybody who turns to Jesus Christ, repentance and faith, will find him to be a perfect savior. Because we know the only ones who are going to turn in repentance and faith are those who receive repentance and faith from the Spirit of God. And so, whenever you read the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church and it goes off into some erroneous area, mm-hmm over in the area of salvation over and over again it is assuming a universal salvific will now there are there are protestants who talk about a universal salvific will in the sense of the idea that there is some way in which you can say that god wants everyone to be saved but they have to make a distinction between some kind type of general statement. God commands men everywhere to repent. Okay, so that expresses a desire for repentance on the part of all men. In the sense that the law says, be holy as I I am holy. Something along those lines. But there is clearly a salvific will of God that creates the specific elect people of God that are described for us so clearly in Ephesians chapter 1. So there is a specific salvific will, a specific salvific love on the far, on, on part of God the Father. So how do you get around that? Well, well, you're talking about different kinds of wills in God. Yes. You have to. How do you interpret Isaiah 10? If you don't if you don't have a recognition that there is the prescriptive will of God, that commands all men everywhere everyone to repent. And then you have the decretive will of God, where by his Spirit, he raises men to spiritual life, gives them the gifts of faith and repentance, and they do those things. You've got to allow all of Scripture to speak. And the human tendency is always to emphasize the abilities of man. That's just That's just the way it works all the time.
2: If he does all the choosing, why doesn't he choose everybody to be saved?
0: That's the argument of the universalist. That's the argument. That's, that's where universalism goes. Uh, I'm really convinced that most of my Arminian, or in this case, Molinist friends, have never debated universalists. They've never dealt with universalistic argumentation, or they would, they would realize that very often they borrow the universalist's arguments. Why didn't he choose everyone to be saved? Who are you, oh man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say the one who molded it, why do you make me like this, will it? That's the whole point. And we just, were in John chapter 6. Why doesn't God draw all men to Christ? Because he doesn't choose to do so. Well why, you know, that, that brings you back to eventually like, well why would God create a world where there's going to be evil? demonstration of all of his attributes to the praise of his glorious grace those are going to be the big answers once you finally get there if you are willing to allow scripture to give those answers
2: right yeah
1: i mean i don't understand that myself either Um, what's that i said i i don't understand that either
2: well the reason (laughs) you don't understand it is because it's contradictory yeah it's false okay i think god is so sovereign that he can get his will done through our free will
0: Okay, that sounds so wonderful. Um, there is no biblical passage on our free will. I have, you, you can go through all sorts of passages about our being dead in sin, incapable of coming to Christ, incapable of submitting our wills to the law of God. Can't, 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 can't. But they don't want to talk about those. They just want to assume this category of free will. Now, are we talking about autonomous will? Are we talking about free will in the sense that Jonathan Edwards talked about free will, and that is that we do what we choose? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about Jonathan Edwards' use of the concept of free will. He's talking about autonomy. And the idea that God is so sovereign, he can get what he wants through our free will, this is Molinism. He's a Molinist. He doesn't necessarily use the the terminology overly openly, but this this is where Molinism comes in. And this is where everybody starts getting a headache and starts reaching for the advil.
2: Right? Mm. So just because God knows what we're going to do doesn't mean he's causing us to do it. See, there's your there's your Molinism. Uh God has
0: his special middle knowledge. And uh and I think one of the reasons, because I've I've said over and over again on this program, Dr. Turk, let's debate this. Let let's let's debate um Calvinism and apologetic methodology. Let's do it. He never even acknowledges that I exist. (laughs) Okay? Um, and, And the reason I think is I don't think he really feels comfortable defending his Molinism. And I'll be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of talking about Molinism. We did a lot of that about a year and a half ago. It's... It is soul drying. (laughs) That's the only way to put it. It dries your soul out. It's just no fun at all. Um, And so I don't even know that I'd want to, but I'd be willing in this instance to go back and do it again, even though we've done debates on it and we had the discussion with William Lane Craig on the subject. But it really does impact how you end up responding apologetically, uh, how you end up... uh, Phrasing the gospel, um, it really does. You know, this whole idea. What he doesn't want to have to do is is explain how God has this knowledge, because there there's no way of there there, there isn't any. You know, it's we're back to the car dealer again. You know, there's no way to avoid him. He's there. Um, go listen to the unbelievable broadcast where this this all came up and and it was discussed. I was. You know, for about as long as anybody wanted to be discussed, except for Mullinus who can do this for hours and hours on end. And that's like I said, it's really weird. So <clears throat> Dr. Turk, um yeah, go ahead. Um Dr. Turk, we'd be happy. I, I think a lot of people would love to see um, us have a debate and um, have our V will travel. Let's um, let's try to make it happen sometime. Yeah, I, I think it would be it'd be very, very helpful. Um, one last thing there was an interesting um, let me see if I can pull this up I didn't save the file so I don't know Um, but let me see if I can pull this back here here's another really interesting response from Dr. Turk that I, I think sort of goes back to some of these things but this is only two minutes long, let's just listen to it.
2: We have a systematic theology that we're trying to meld this stuff together between James, for example, James's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, emphasis on works mm-hmm. and other apostles, mm-hmm. you know, Paul who yeah. says basically, you know, it's grace only. Right. So you try to reconcile that. Right. Uh, are there is there like are there like guidelines or, or principles now that we're having to defend a a kind of a different definition of inerrancy and a different how, how do you, what are your yeah, that's an excellent question. In, in the late seventies, there was a group of scholars that came together. One of them was my co-author, Dr. Norman Geiser. They came together and uh, they had a, a conference in Chicago on inerrancy, and they came up with a whole bunch of different beliefs regarding inerrancy. You can go online and find Chicago's statement on inerrancy, and they have. Uh, by the way, I would never phrase it that way. Came up with a bunch of different beliefs on inerrancy.
0: What I'm. Maybe that was just a misstatement, but what they did is produce a, a classic statement that is reflective of the early church. By the way, you, there's a bunch of scholars running around saying oh, it's all a modern thing. B- baloney. Uh, the 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 very way now look, the more Alexandrian in the sense of you know people like Origin and stuff like that doing all their weird allegorical stuff, but People who are taking Scripture seriously re- are recognizing it's God speaking, and uh, I would say <clears throat> if there had not been a a fundamental acceptance of the inerrancy of Scripture, there never would have been a Reformation. Um, once, just just look at what happens to every progressivist denomination that denies inerrancy. They, they cannot have meaningful theological debate any longer because Scripture has simply become what you feel it to be. And the Chicago Statement really is just classical in its balance, in its recognition of the uh, objections that are, that are to be raised against inerrancy. But let me tell you something. Uh, I taught In a Southern Baptist, in a couple Southern Baptist seminaries, but one specific Southern Baptist seminary for years on end. And I knew very, very plainly and clearly that many of the Southern Baptists who signed their, put their John Hancock on the Baptist faith and message, yeah, I believe in inerrancy, so redefined it that it was utterly meaningless. the the redefinition made the signature irrelevant really really did and I've said on this program many times if you believe in inerrancy you were in a small minority in world Christianity today not so much in the pew but in the seminary and the academy I mean N.T. Wright has described inerrancy as that silly American doctrine really has
2: um, that has implications, that has, that, that impacts everything. Have all different qualifications as to what inerrancy really means. It's kind of a moving target. I mean, people will, will say, well, I think it should be this, and I think it should be that. Uh, and so they, they'll, they'll argue over that kind of thing. Sometimes they're arguing who's inerrant about defining inerrancy, <laughs> right? Okay. But we get the general idea. Some say inerrancy is as X, others say it's Y. In fact, some of the Scholars today say the Bible's inerrant in whatever it teaches, okay? not, not necessarily in, in every single historical detail, but it teaches theologically, they'll say. But of course, well, obviously, that's
0: very, very popular amongst Roman Catholicism, uh, very popular amongst some mainstream denominations, things like that. Um, but that's, that's not a belief in inerrancy itself which it really is speaking to the very nature of Scripture as being God-breathed. And that really is where I, I think the soft underbelly, when people say, what are the great dangers to the church? It, I think it's always the fact that it is so offensive to the secular world to believe that God has actually spoken. And if you really believe God has spoken, um, it 's hard to avoid believing in the doctrine of inerrancy they They go together they go hand in hand, and I think the soft underbelly is how many how how many people there are out out there that pretend they
2: believe something about that, but they don 't really actually believe that of course jesus said can't trust me about earthly things why are you going to trust me about heavenly things so there there is a debate right now over an okay okay, yes, Jesus said that.
0: And if scripture is Jesus' word, then yeah, that's very relevant. And yes, there are constantly debates in the academy. It's interesting. I don't find it to be a constant debate in the congregation. It shouldn't be. Um, I think one of the clearest dividers between believing congregations and unbelieving congregations is right here. How you view scripture. You don't have the highest view of scripture. There's no reason for us to be debating issues like Trinity or eschatology or anything like that. Because you don't have a sure word to be debating about it
2: anyways. Inerrancy. Uh, But it's, again, my point is, that's an intramural debate among Christians. Inerrancy shouldn't come off your lips talking to an atheist.
0: Inerrancy should not come off your lips talking to an atheist. This is where your anthropology stands up and screams. What are you you trying to get the atheist to do? I mean, aside from maybe not being honest with him about his rebellion (laughs) before God, what are you trying to get him to do?
2: Well, he explains it. Or a skeptic. What you're trying to do is get them to trust that Jesus is the Savior. And if he's the savior, then the dominoes start falling after that.
0: Okay, who's Jesus? What does savior mean? Savior from what? We're going to go to get these things. Man's opinions, I guess, because you don't have a sure word. That's not how the apostles did it. That's not how the apostles did it. This is a fundamental difference in apologetic approach, to be certain. Um, let's see there's 20 seconds
2: left let's see what's there because whatever Jesus teaches is true and so you just got to figure out what Jesus teaches okay whatever Jesus teaches is true
0: there's a there's a bunch of stuff behind that that all came from the inerrant scriptures but you but you what you're supposed to sort of keep that quiet or something I I don't know I don't know there you go all right. Anyways, long program today. Hope it was helpful to you. Hope we hope we kept our uh, our long distance truckers awake today. Um, I'm gonna be heading out on the road next week, and uh, so I. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, <clears throat> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Rich did mention this to me. Okay. One of those truckers called you today, huh? Um, here we are. Um, so, I can at least give you, um, I guess I got got to open the right trip here. I can at least tell you this much, okay? We need to get, we do need to get all this stuff up onto the website. I will be in St. Charles at Covenant Grace Church, where I've been, I think this is year 23. Going to Covenant to Grace Church in Saint Charles, Missouri, speaking the weekend. Um, no, don't install it. A, a uh, <laughs> an update. Speaking the weekend of December first, second, and third. Okay, December first, second, and third, um, in Saint Charles. Again, been doing that for years. So, what I decide this time is I wanted to try to do something on the way out and on the way back. So I will be speaking in Amarillo on Sunday, the 26th. In the Sunday morning service, Sunday the 26th. And I am uh, scrolling here. And that is at... I've got the uh, uh, 6810 Hillside Road in Amarillo, 10 a.m. Sir, 10 a.m. service. Uh, I'll be preaching uh, there in Amarillo on the 26th. Then I'm in St. Charles on the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Same schedule as what we've done in the past. And then on the way back, uh, I will be stopping in Sedalia, Missouri. Sedalia, Missouri is pretty much smack dab in the middle of the, uh, of the, the city. State, yes. Sedalia, uh, Missouri. And I can't get to zoom in any farther than there for some reason. That's weird. But I will be there on Wednesday and Thursday evenings. I can't scroll fast enough right now to find the uh, emails to give you the names. I'm sorry. Then two churches in Kansas City. Um, will be uh, hosting me uh, on Friday and Saturday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm sorry, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I, I know there's a song, there's a psalm sing one night. Uh, I'm gonna be speaking on the reliability of scripture, and I don't know why this is refusing to zoom in any farther. Because if it would, then I would be able to. Um, I, I remember where the specific uh location was, but it's not allowing me to do that right now. It has never done that before, but that's because we're live. But that will be the uh weekend then of there in Kansas City. I started speaking on the eighth, ninth, and tenth of December. So um yeah, that'll give you some idea of what we're going on what's what's going on there and uh, we'll get those I'll try to get those specific specifics to Rich so we can get them up on the website so uh, there you go all right Uh, that'll do it we've gone long today but again hopefully helpful to everybody we will be back on Thursday with John Cooper of Skillet his new book in the big studio we'll see you then God bless